And as always, we'd like to thank our partners, Firebird Rising and the beautiful game network, BGN. You can go to their websites to see more of their content at firebirdrising.coreair, that's K-O-R-R-A-I-R.com, or at bgn.fm. And let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Rising as One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns along with uh, Jeff Went. And before we get on with anything further, this is CNN breaking news. Yeah, it really did happen. And the breaking news, I guess, as everybody knows, uh, Phoenix Rising head coach and. President of Soccer Operations, Frank Yallop, has resigned. Uh, here is the official press release coming from uh, Phoenix Rising this morning at about 11 o'clock. Uh, today, Phoenix Rising Football Club announced an international search for a new head coach. The news was a result of, a current, of current head coach and president of Soccer Operations, Frank Yallop, resigning from his position to rejoin his family in Northern California. Yallop will aid Phoenix Rising FC as a consulting member of its International Search Committee, focused on finding the best new head coach to help continue the team's early success and build soccer operations for likely expansion into MLS. Helping set the stage for success at Phoenix Rising FC has been among the most enjoyable accomplishments in my career, said head coach and president of soccer operations, Frank Yallop. The timing is perfect here for me to step aside and move back home with my family. I want to thank our talented players for believing in our vision and our extremely dedicated ownership group. I believe there is no other club better positioned for expansion to MLS. Yallop, a highly celebrated professional soccer coach who managed the Canadian men's national team, was MLS coach of the year and a supporter shield winner, led the San Jose Earthquakes to two MLS titles and brought David Beckham to the LA Galaxy as its head coach, commuted to Phoenix for the past 18 months to assist Phoenix Rising FC with development of its soccer operations and MLS expansion franchise bid. Frank is a wonderful human being and extremely experienced head coach, said Phoenix Rising FC Governor Burke Bakai. We are incredibly grateful for his leadership during the vital initial development of our soccer organization and his ongoing commitment to help us find an experienced head coach capable of successfully competing in MLS. We are saddened to see Frank leave our organization, but respect his decision to reunite with his family. Yallop is transitioning coaching responsibilities to assistant coach Rick Shantz, who will lead the team on an interim basis with the assistance of the, of the additional coaching staff. Shantz is a highly respected member of Arizona's soccer community, having served as head coach of FC Tucson and has been a key leader of the state's youth soccer development program in Southern Arizona. Phoenix Rising FC is off to a strong start for the 2017 season, having won its last two matches in a row, topping LA Galaxy 2 and Swope Park Rangers. That is the official release from Phoenix Rising FC. Well, let's begin the discussion. Uh, this is a shock, first of all. Um, we were there last night. 
We listened to Frank in the post-match. We also listened to Didier Drogba in the post-match. And Didier specifically mentioned, um, I'm willing to go wherever Frank Gallup plays me. I'm willing to accept whatever role he gives me. And he specifically mentioned that he had spoken to Frank Gallup and he was okay with playing for the guy. And now, less than 12 hours later, he's gone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think about it. This has been a whirlwind 40, 48 hours for this soccer club. Didier Drogba arrives in Phoenix on Friday evening. You've got the match on Sunday, which we'll get into in a few minutes. And, and All-time attendance about, record. Talk about, you know, you've got the all-time attendance record, and you talk about the way the team played last night. And then all of a sudden... You get this release this morning saying that Gallup has resigned. I mean, it, it's just a total and complete shock. It's, uh, you know, I have I have full confidence in Rick Shantz stepping up in this role right now as, as the interim head coach. As they obviously said in the release, they're going to do conduct an international search to find the next head coach. But, you know, as they're doing that, you have the experience of a winning head coach in, in Rick Shantz, who led FC Tucson to multiple PDL titles down in Tucson. He knows how to handle players. I think he will be a good fit until they find the next person. Right, and the search begins now, as the USL official tweet mentioned. So if you don't mind, I'm going to give my thoughts on this just for a second. I think there are three possibilities here. And before I get to those three, I want to mention one that's not a possibility. As evidenced by that statement, as evidenced by the kind words everyone had to say about Yallop, I don't think this was a falling out with with Yallop and the ownership, with Yallop and the management. I don't think there was a falling out there. I think they were on good terms, and for whatever reason, they're splitting. So I think there are three possibilities here. One is I think, you know, maybe there's something serious with Yallop's family or whatever, and he's actually deciding to go to Northern California for that purpose. As mentioned in the USL article, as mentioned in the press release, he, you know, is going to Northern California to spend more time with them, but I don't buy it. I don't buy it. You know, don't quote me on this, but this is just a gut reaction. I, I don't buy it. Option two, Yallop might have a, a job lined up somewhere soon. Perhaps he's moving to England to coach a championship side over there. This would be a nice time to step down as their European season comes to an end and teams are looking for new coaches. Um, now, it's interesting because Yallop is still going to stay with Rising in a small role, right? That is correct. Do you he'll want to elaborate? On, well, he'll be on the committee that helps search for the new head coach. So obviously he's going to... to you know, he's going to be looking in that role to find the person that would best suit the situation that's going on right now. You know, we're not only focusing on just this season at hand, but we're obviously also focusing on the bigger you know, picture. The, the bigger picture, which is the the MLS expansion bid, which I think lends some support to option two because he steps down on the twenty fourth. They look for a new coach. They probably make the coaching announcement in a couple weeks, and that's right when the European seasons are ending. That's right when Premier League ends, Championship ends. If he were to get a job over there, or there's a bad franchise in MLS maybe that needs a new hire, that would be an ideal time for him to get snapped up. That's an option. The other option, which has been speculated about a little bit, Jurgen Klinsmann, The Undertaker? 
No way! How could this be? Wasn't he uh, just canned a couple months ago after two terrible defeats in uh, World Cup qualifying? Why would he be considered with Rising? Why would there be any rumors? Allow me to take you to April 18th, 2017, when Rick Schantz, the interim head coach, posted a tweet with him standing next to Jurgen Klinsmann at the Phoenix Rising soccer facility. There were two pictures there, one with Schantz and Klinsmann, and another picture with Jurgen Klinsmann and... Hmm. Makes you think. This happened six days ago. And six days before this announced resignation by Yallop, and now Rising has an off week. Now, do I think this is going to happen? No. But the online speculation is already beginning. And if Jurgen were to come here, I don't think you uh, express your desire to get to MLS any clearer than that. Jurgen is a guy that has coached at the highest levels. He has been a technical director too, so he really would have the full package. Phoenix Rising wants to build a great academy because there are a lot of fantastic young players in the Southwest. And Jurgen, I don't think there'd be too many people from a technical director standpoint more qualified than him to do that. Do you think it's an option? It, it, it is an option. I mean, what be- I guess what better time than right now to have this coaching change happen you're right in the middle of a of a week off you're going down to Tucson to play a match that doesn't really mean anything yet it's going to be more of a it's going to be more of a fitness match for these guys you know just trying to keep them fresh you know I don't think you know Yallop really liked the way the schedule had set up early with the, with the you know the two off weeks in April it kind of made it hard for them but if there's any time you're going to make a head coaching change, now would be the time. And obviously, that's the only lead we really have to go with right now is, is Klinsman in the building a week ago. So could he, with, you know, could he have been talking with them a week ago? Sure he could have. Well, I, I mean, what was he talking about? We don't know. But here's, if you really want to put your conspiracy hat on, if you really want me to go Detective Dom on you, look at the people that have liked that uh tweet from Rick Schantz. So it's, it has 82 likes. Among the likes, Kay Kamara in the MLS. And he was early on the Drogba train too. He was liking some of the tweets related to Didier Drogba, the Phoenix Rising. Brock Granger, one of the likers. Also Luke Ramage, or uh, Peter Ramage, excuse me. Um, another person that was among the likers of this tweet. So it makes you think. Now, it really makes you think because if Jurgen is not the answer, if this is all just baseless speculation, who's the new coach going to be? And why would you do it coming off of a two-game winning streak unless you have a plan in place? And the thing about Rising with their ownership group and the timing of everything, with the whole Drogba thing, they, they announced it. They had a plan in place. So there were some leaks, but then once the move was officially announced, the contingency plan was immediately announced right afterwards. So Drogba is signed, oh, and by the way, go to our store, shop for merchandise. We're ready to go. We're zooming off the runway, so to speak. If, if Jurgen's not the guy, then, then 
who is going to be that guy. Because so far, Rising has done a really good job of not keeping people waiting too long to find answers. That is correct. And, I, you know, I, I think – I don't think this decision will take very long. You know, I think at the most it would take a month if they, cho- if they chose to go this route. If, it, if it's Klinsman, I, I think you see an announcement in the next week, let's be honest. Because if they've been talking, it, it, you know, if, if this tweet, you know, <coughs> excuse me, shows that they've been talking, then, then maybe they've had a plan in place for a while and are just taking their time, crossing their T's, dotting their I's, making sure that everything is finalized and ready in the way it needs to be. You wait till after the FC Tucson match, then maybe you announce if, if Klinsman is the man, then that, that would then be the announcement there. One person we do know that will not be the next head coach will be Didier Drogba. <laughs> Jeffrey Carlisle this morning from ESPN did tweet out that he did talk to Didier and said he has no interest in being in being the coach. So coach player owner. So let's so let's 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 rule that person out right away. So And that is an interesting point because Drogba in interviews has expressed some interest in potentially getting into coaching. He's not sure he's trying to weigh his options. He might go into the technical development side. He might go into a front office role he had also considered coaching so good to point that out these are crazy times and it is possible unlikely as it seems that they could announce the new head coach by the time you guys are listening to this whether that be uh tonight monday night the 24th the 25th by the time you're listening to this it's possible there's already an announcement so that's just a wild thought i mean there's just how do you even respond to this? We got this news an hour before we were going to come on air. And Matt Trainer, who uh, we should give a brief shout out, our, uh, usually our third podcaster, he's actually in Guadalajara right now. He just got married yesterday. So congrats to him. But he still managed to give a couple thoughts about, about what is going on right now and what it all means. And let's see what he has to say. I mean, he just says, well, I don't even know where to start. It was just released that Coach Yelp has resigned following the win against SPR. While others have more coverage on this breaking news, I'm a little shocked to hear this, did not see it coming. I don't like to jump to conclusions or make any wild guesses, but might this explain why Jurgen Klinsmann was recently visiting with Phoenix Rising? Six days ago. I don't know. We can we can do baseless speculation all day, but do you want to move on to something else? Let's well, Let's uh, let's move on to what we normally would would lead our uh, weekly podcast off with. Uh, and let's, we'll get back to this later. Let's, I have let's, a feeling, but let's let's talk about last night's thrilling four three victory over Swole Park Rangers. Uh, I mean, literally any other day, that would be the story yes. of the week. I mean, oh, yes. that was that was one of the most exciting games I've ever been to in person, and I. I went to an MLS game where, um, in Seattle where Dempsey and Wando scored. And I found this one, I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, but I found this one even more exciting just yeah. because of the up-and-down action, constant goals. And, and the other uh, glaring point of the match, which we'll get into later. But let's, let's 
get rolling into the first half of this match, uh, obviously coming out in the same formation with the same 11 players as they did last week, or as they did last game against Los Dos. Uh, it was great to see, and right off the bat, we see Phoenix Rising going right to the attack, just like they had been last week or two weeks ago against Galaxy. Bravo gets a ball in the fifth minute. Jukes out the defender wonderfully, but just just not able to get that finishing shot off in the fifth minute. A big shout out to uh, Josh Cohen too. Soap had a really quick counterattack of around the twelfth minute, and they actually, I mean, Mark Gonzalez got one on one with Cohen. He tried to chip Cohen, and Cohen just made himself as big as possible, and he actually saved it with his face. I've been on the receiving end of a couple of those. It doesn't matter how you do it; you just got to keep the ball out of the net. So that's just another fantastic save from Cohen, who had a great game. Yes, he did have a great game, despite despite what the score says. You can you can you can tell that, that Josh Cohen has clearly supplanted himself as the number one keeper on this club. We'll get back to him on the third goal. That one maybe maybe at fault a little bit, but let's let's move on. So the first twenty minutes of the match, obviously, you know things are trying to flow. You know, Rising had a, a decent amount of possession at that time. Did, didn't really look like it just because, you know, a lot of play was happening in the middle of the park. But but you could see the passing was there just like it was two weeks ago. You could see the movement was there. It was, um, it was one of those very deceptive um, – the possession numbers from yesterday were very deceptive because even in those first 20 minutes where Swope had more possession, around 60%, it was kind of like a vintage Leicester City performance from the 2016 season when they won the league. A lot of great pressing by Rising, forcing some turnovers, and then Rising very direct, very concise with their passing for the most part. Uh, and then it finally paid off in the 22nd. It paid off in the 22nd. Uh, you know, Cohen makes the diving save. They turn around quickly and, and go right on the counter. And one of the most beautiful goals you will ever see. If you had the chance to see it, what a what a <laughs> what a curler! What a curler from Alessandro Rigi. You were you were down in that end, and you, you know. Oh, it was it was sensational. So, uh, as you were mentioning before, Bravo gets the ball in the attacking third, slides a nice ball through to Rigi, who once again shows why he is the X factor for our squad. Um, makes a nice move to put the ball on his right foot, takes his time, composure, and then just exquisite curl into the right corner uh keeper really had no chance and the crowd really appreciated it so and then two minutes later back on the attack again omar bravo gets the ball drives it in deep reese check has to come out and make a decision i thought that was cortez that got I mean, brought you're, down you're right it was chris cortez but so chris cortez is driving reese check has to come out and challenges it challenges it right at the line so everybody was still trying to figure out whether it would happen, whether the foul happened inside the box or outside the box. The referees had a long discussion about it, and then fin- gave it. Finally, awarded the penalty, saying it happened inside the box. We looked at a lot of replays upstairs in in the booth, and from what we could tell, it looked like the the foul occurred outside the box. See, that's what I was thinking too. On my like very initial reaction, was the first the first contact was definitely outside the box. But what, what made me think, okay, a PK could be justified here is it looked like there were a couple instances of contact. Like there was a first one, 
But then Cortez was continuing to move forward, and then he kind of got shoved again when his foot was on the line. So that's really a matter of interpretation, like which contact you want to say is the one that, that counts. And as you were mentioning, the head referee was pointing outside the box, and then his assistant came charging in from 15 yards away, pointing at the spot. Nope, that's a penalty. And so once it's awarded, our man Luke Rooney, second time in two weeks for a penalty, his third goal in the last two weeks, as he mentioned in postgame, um, he steps up there very confidently and once again just drills it in the left side. Keeper guessed correctly, but still had no chance. It had no chance at all, so 2 nothing lead. And then three minutes later, Chris Cortez on a beautiful, beautiful low left-hand shot. That is such an underrated goal, too. I mean, if you look at the highlights, you're going to see the curler from Rigi. And no mistake, that's, that's well, there were some great goals this game, but that's probably the goal of the match. But Cortez, he dribbled it from over 30 yards out, got by a couple defenders. It was a very Messi-esque finish, actually. He has the ball on his left foot. Uh, just feels out the space, finds an opening, and in very, very Messi-esque fashion, just nice low curling shot with the left foot, perfectly placed in the left corner. Um, it might not get as much love as it deserves because of the Rigi goal that just preceded it, but, man, that was fantastic. And a lot of credit to that play also goes to Cody Wakasa getting that ball up to Cortez. I mean, if he, does, if he doesn't throw that ball right at Cortez's feet, and in stride, none of that, none of that play happens whatsoever. But you got to give Cody Wakasa a lot of credit on that play. Definitely. So we get into the middle part of the first half, up three nothing. Swope isn't happy. No, Swope, and Swope makes changes right away. Swope goes to Carlton Belmar, goes to Oliveira, right away. Yeah, thirty fourth minute. Um, Belmar, if you recall listening to the podcast last Sunday was a guy that uh, Chad Smith said, keep your eyes on. And later in the game, he did earn a penalty, but for most of the game, the rising defense did a great job stymieing him. Because um, Cody Wakasa obviously came out right away and noticed that, that Belmar was a man, needed to be marked. He was marked. He was on him right away. You can see he was on him right away from the beginning. So credit the, credit the Phoenix rising defense for, for a good effort on Carlton Belmar keeping him, for the most part, off of the score sheet, despite the, pen, the despite the PK goal, which we'll get into later. Right. So the, the first half kind of peters out. Um, Swope gets some possession, but they can't do too much with it. There was one uh, corner in stoppage time where there's kind of a chance, but Cohen tipped it over the bar. So it gets to halftime, and, you know, it's already a party atmosphere. 3-0 up against the last perfect team in USL. And then we get... Uh, Ian Canfield from Altezi out there, uh, Berkey Bakai comes out, and they introduce Drogba, and there's probably a circle of 200 people, mostly kids, um, around the midfield circle, and Drogba comes out like a, like a king entering, so to speak, um, gets, gets into the circle, shakes hands with everyone, speaks for a few minutes, and one quote that was interesting from this, towards the end of his short speech, he said, and, and an ESPN FC article picked this up, together Phoenix will get to the MLS. He's calling the shot. Calling, shoot or shoot. He's calling the shot. So, so. 
So obviously we're still in the hoopla, we're still in the hype. We get back out in the second half. Doesn't take very long to go right at it again, 46th minute. Oh yeah, just right off a corner. Uh, Luke Rooney feeds the ball in. He's been our corner kick taker for some time now, and he gets a nice delivery to the back post. This is one of those where um, the swope keeper, David Grishik, who was making his pro debut, he'd probably like to have this one back because the ball wasn't too far off the goal line. I mean, Ramage got up there pretty close and just knocked it in at the back post from only three yards out. Um, and and Grishik kind of just got screened off. As a keeper, you need to be a little bit bigger in that situation. And I know it's tough. I've struggled with those too. But you got to get bigger. You got to make your presence felt. And, you know, a learning a learning moment for him, but a 4-0 lead for rising. Yeah. And we get into, you know, we, we get into a scary moment there in the 52nd. Uh, Gonzalez, Mark Gonzalez and, and Josh Cohen have a nasty collision right there at the right there at the outside of the 18 and, and we were worried for a while whether Josh was going to be okay they checked his head they checked everywhere else he looked to be okay well they, they had to do the whole concussion protocol and that took a few minutes um, but he was ultimately allowed to continue and looked looked fine yeah. so hopefully Nothing comes out later that he is going to have to miss some time, but uh, um, you know we get into, you know we start getting into the flow of the second half. Swope gets a couple of, of chances, but so did we from, from Cameron Owasa. Owasa Owasa made it made his presence known, but not as much as he normally has in the past when he played with Sacramento or even early with Swope. He had the winner last week. He scored I think two goals before last night. He's been a he or a key, excuse me a key part of their attack, and he was largely silenced. So again, credit goes to the entire rising back line for making Belmar and Awasa largely quiet players. Yeah. A couple of chances for United, you know, er, you know, early on after after the 4-0 goal, uh, Alessandro Rigi had, had a ball right outside the box. Rising now, but... <laughs> just missed wide. A uh, couple of minutes later, you had Chris Cortez trying to chip a ball over Grease Check. Unfortunately, it was just a little bit wide on that attempt. And that was interesting because from my vantage point, I was on the right side, the east side of the stadium. I'm thinking, what is he doing? Like, that didn't even look close. And then I see the replays. I'm like, oh, wow, he totally had that left corner. It was there for the taking. Now I see what he was doing, but it did go left. Yeah. Uh, we get, <coughs> excuse me, 63rd minute. Belmar had a free kick right outside the box, drilled it right into Cohen's midsection. He had no problem to save there. 73rd, we get two subs for, for Rising. You get uh, Blair Gavin comes on for Luke Rooney. You get uh, uh, Matt Herlow who comes on for Alessandro Rigi. And uh, this might be a fun time to do um, some advanced metrics here. I did the numbers. I crunched them. And Alessandro Rigi when he's been on the pitch this year for Phoenix Rising, our goal differential is plus four. When he's off the pitch, minus five. The same applies to Luke Rooney. When Rooney is on the pitch, plus four, and off the field, minus five. Because he was off when when um, we lost 2-0 to Monarchs, and he was off for those last three last night. So, I mean, with all the hoopla about Bravo and, you know, now Drogba and the, as good as Cohen's been, the two critical players... If you just look at it from a plus-minus perspective, are Rigi and Rooney, and the season has completely changed since Rigi was placed in the starting lineup. And once they come off, things do change. Yeah, 
change in a big way in the 78th minute. Uh, Cody Wakasa makes the challenge on Carlton Belmar. Referee shows a straight red. We were, we've, we've looked at this replay a number of times. I, the foul, yeah, yeah, I, I agree it was a foul. Do, yeah. I, do I think it was a straight red offense? No. I don't think any of us thought it was a straight red offense. I mean, it's it was a it was a foul. There wasn't too much of an arm reach, but there was contact. Like I've seen, I've seen worse not called. I've seen less called. So I mean, you can't be too upset there. And okay, I guess a yellow. But for a straight red, this wasn't Sergio Ramos in the Clasico going studs up on Messi, leaving his feet. I mean, there wasn't even an arm extension. And to give the straight red there, I mean, there were just stadium-wide boos. Not just the supporter section, the stadium was booing louder than at any other point on the evening. And I think deservedly so, because that totally changes the game. Changes, changes the complexion of the game completely. Obviously, Belmar steps up, hits the PK. Josh Cohen not picking the right well, direction. Well, uh, Oliveira actually. Or Oliveira, I'm sorry. Yeah. He, he steps up and hits it. Obviously, Cohen didn't, you know, chose the wrong direction. I don't think it would have mattered either way. You know, Oliveira hit it real nice. So, 4-1, okay, you're not too worried. No, but what this does is not only are we a man down, but we are a defender down. And not just a defender, we are right wing, one of the most important positions for us because all season long, teams have attacked us on the sides because they know in the middle we have Ramage and we have... Um, Watson, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been pretty rock solid in the back, in the middle. So teams attack on the wing. Well, now one of our wings is gone. Now you're asking Watson to cover more space on that right side. And they're already controlling possession, and they're already looking to push forward and rally. And it just becomes a nightmare. Uh, we had one chance to put this game to rest in the 81st. Um, the subs actually linked up. Gavin with a great pass to Hurlow. Unfortunately, Hurlow... He had the right idea. He waited for a while, and the top corner of the goal opened up, but he pushes it wide right into the netting, and then the onslaught. Yeah. Well, but then before that, they do decide to bring in that fourth defender, bring out Omar Bravo, bring in A.J. Gray. So hopefully A.J. Gray was coming in to shore up that right side. You know, obviously that would leave Cortez as, as, as the single high man, which you're not worried about at this point at 4-1. You're more worried about controlling the back. So you, you put A.J. Gray, Stewart, Ramage, and Vasquez across that back thinking you're okay. But you're not okay because what happens in right there near the 90th is Oliveira gets on top of another ball. In fairness, what a freaking strike. Oh, it was a, it was a wonderful strike. I mean, you know, I don't know if anyone saw the uh, the FA Cup semifinal on Saturday. Matic just drilled it off the top crossbar. It was reminiscent of that. This one was a little closer. It was inside the 18. But just a rocket, a missile off the top bar, goes over the line. And it almost looked like a hockey goal because it hit like the back of the goal and bounced out right away. And so people are like, did that even go in? But it did. And then that's not enough for Swope. Their very next attack... Uh, there's kind of a ball bouncing around just outside the 18, and Christian Duke gets an amazing volley on it from 25 yards out. It kind of dips into the left corner. Um, this is the one time all game where Cohen, a little off his line, he was maybe 9, 10 yards from the goal line, 
and he had to track back and try to get it. He couldn't do it. Now you're looking at 4-3, and there's still tons of added time because of the concussion and the water break earlier. Yeah, and, and obviously, thankfully enough, they were able to weather the storm, hang on right to the end, get the 4-3 victory, get an important three points. Oh, huge three points. Which puts them right, which puts them right back in the race. And, know. boy, one last thought. If, if that game had continued for 10 more minutes, I am certain that Swope would have scored at least one more. We really just got out of there at the right time because that was, I mean, talk about 0 to 100. That was an ambush the last few minutes. But you know what? It's a win, and it's, it's win. three points. A win is a win and three points. And here's now former coach Frank Yallop after the game talking about what happened. It ended up being a lot closer than you really wanted it to be, didn't you? Yeah. Fans <laughs> asked me the same, but I didn't think it. Uh, yeah, I mean, wanted this play up to sort of 4-0, and I'm thinking, you know, this could be 4-5-6 in the end. you got to credit that the team we played tonight, you know, if you look at their record, they had, coming into this, they'd lost one game in 14, and that was the final, you know, last year in the USL final. So, good team we played against. I thought we were outstanding in most of the parts of the game. I think the fragileness of the team showed a little bit tonight. We've not really been through that, where we're up and kind of cruising, really, and then run the pressure and we couldn't handle it. I will credit all our guys that they tried their best, and in the end we won the game. I said, doesn't matter how you win it, we got three points tonight. And that's the most important thing. Obviously, another big, another big night as far as the speed factor showed. I mean, you go back to the first two matches, you really didn't see the speed. These last two matches, you've seen the speed in this team. Yeah, I think I explained after the first couple of games. We, we weren't ready to play, to be honest. Um, a lot of our guys were on different wavelengths, and, and I figured out the system. The system we play now is excellent. I think it, it showcases our players well. Um, I really like, you know, Chris and, and Omar's movement. You know, Omar decided great to play out the right side, where there's a bit of space. Their left back was getting forward, and it worked the treat for us. And he figured it out on his, by himself. So stuff like that. We've got some good veteran players. I just feel sorry because it feels a little bit of, you know, a sour taste in your mouth. When you should be 4-0 winners and you come up 4-3 and we're kind of hanging off. Um, having said that, we'll forget about it, get on with it, and, and you know, look forward to the next game. Seen a bit of nervousness on the part of the guys with all the good guys around the today's rabbit. Not really, no. He was great. He came in the other morning and uh, you know, said hello to everybody. And he's, you know, a gentleman like he is. Great. No, the guys are excited to to, uh, to be able to play with someone like this stature. You know, you got Sean Wright Phillips as well, who's played at a very, very high level. So it was great to get again tonight. No, I was very, I was, you know, the guys are going to look forward to, to working with him. How's Josh doing? Is he alright? Yes, he's okay. Yeah, he just got banged. Uh, I think he hit his head on the ground. I haven't, I haven't, asked, the, I haven't asked the trainer yet, but he got a little knock on the head. He's okay, yeah. Coach, this is another great start for your team after two very tough starts in the first two matches. What's been the difference for Rising the last two times out? Uh, fitness. To be honest, fitness, sharpness, uh, togetherness, all the things that you, you know, the good teams have. Um, we weren't there in the first two games. We kind of, season started too early for us, to be honest. Um, so, I think a longer preseason is definitely uh, in you know, in the cards for this squad with with the aging guys we have. And I tell you what, you know, you, we had some older guys on the field, but you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known it um, the way we played. So. So that's the comments of Frank Yallop after the match. Uh, uh, obviously, very upbeat, very positive, very, uh, very understanding of the situation. But but obviously, knowing that three points were huge at that match, you know, and, and 
the way that match was going, anything could have happened. It could have been four, five, six, nothing very easily. Yeah, I mean, the I mean for the first seventy-five minutes of that match, Rising looked like they could beat any team in USL by multiple goals. That's how solid the defense was. That's how relentless the attack was. And we took our chances tonight. That was a real problem earlier in the season, especially in that first game against Toronto, where we really should have got a point from that game at least. Well, tonight we take our chances. We get the stats, you know, they might not be uh, too friendly to us. They might make it look like uh, it, it didn't, we weren't that dominant. Five shots on target leading to four goals, but 14 shots total. Um, we did have some chances at the end that didn't go in that could have made it even a larger number for us. But all in all, really solid performance. And I think something that really jumped out to me as well, especially in the first half, the passing. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the passing, the link-ups, the directness of the attacks was miles above where it was the first couple weeks. Yeah, totally and completely. So. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it looks like when you finally, uh, the pressure is off, you've got the goals, you've got the win, and now you can play. Now the pressure's on the other side coming in with the perfect record, and the rising played very loose, and it showed. Yeah, it did show. Let's get into the other uh, big topic of the evening, uh, the introduction of Didier Drogba to Phoenix Rising fans, to the Phoenix Rising press. Uh, a wonderful night all around. Obviously, the ceremony at halftime, you know, which we touched on earlier. Uh, Drogba gave us a few minutes uh, this time after the game last night, and here's what Didier had to say after the game last night. Well, what you think of the reception you got tonight as well? Kind of talk about you had some offers overseas to go back over and play over there. What what was it that drew you to come here? Oh, you know, I could have gone back to Chelsea and and, and, and work at the club. I could have also joined some teams in Premier League and uh, also in China, even in the MLS. But uh, I believe in, in this project. Phoenix has uh, the potential to, to become one of the, the MLS teams within the next three to four years. And uh, when you see what I saw today, you know, the, the, the game we played and, and the, the, the crowd, uh, I think we're going to have to increase the capacity of the stadium because uh, people are really, you can, you can hear them, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, it's amazing. Could you have made a different decision if the club wasn't trying to get into MLS and you know, it's a it's a interesting question because uh, my friend really introduced me to to that kid, and we get on really well. So I think even if I didn't have there wasn't this opportunity to go to the MLS, I would still be here to try to help the club and the city to to get to the MLS. You know. Uh, any other team, you know, and this one is a big challenge, it's a great challenge, and for me, um, 
and he will talk to the part of it. comments of Didier Drogba post-match. Any takeaways there besides the boom, boom, boom of the fireworks (laughs) in the background? (laughs) Which everybody was commenting about why it was so loud, why the music had to be so loud at that point in the evening when everybody was out of the stadium. But, um, you know, I think Didier is going to bring a different vibe around this club. I think once he gets into his playing shape, which... Like he admittedly said in the postgame comments, is going to be a few weeks. I, you know, you know, we we talked a little bit last night as to when we think we might see him. I mean, people speculate: will we see him in the Reno match? Will we see him possibly in in the OKC match? I think, I think maybe the OKC match might be a target, just because. Think about that stretch of games. You're gonna you're gonna head into a stretch where you're finish. You're not only finishing up the homestand. But then you start into a stretch where you're going to play an open cut match on the road in California. Then you're going to play two more league matches on the road. And, and then, tough matches then, as well. That's... Then, then, you're, then you're looking at a possible third round open cut match to be played on the 31st of May. So you're looking at four matches there in a, in a two and a half week, almost three week span where they're going to need a Didier Drogba to possibly supplant 20, 25 minutes maybe to help a Chris Cortez, to help an Omar Bravo. 
because oh, at least because you, you don't have the trust of many of the other strikers to play a full ninety minutes. You, you don't have the trust of a Matt Hurlow to play ninety minutes. You don't have the trust of a Jason Johnson to play ninety minutes. Those are your two top guys right now who are supplanting Bravo and Cortez on the top. Just doesn't seem like they are of the mindset right now that they can go a full ninety and provide the effort that they need up top with the with the talent that they have right now. No. Um, so we were talking a few weeks ago, and back then, maybe not even a few weeks ago, it feels like it with all the crazy news lately, but thinking maybe he would get a substitute appearance with Reno and then potentially a start against OKC, I think that timeline needs to be pushed back a bit because he just came in on Friday, and you know he will just start practicing with the team, I would assume, well, maybe assume today, maybe tomorrow. tomorrow. It would have been today. Um, maybe today. Who knows? But, yeah, I, I would think the earliest appearance possibility would be OKC Energy. I feel like that has to be the match, though, because you want to debut him in front of the home crowd before they go on a long road trip. As you were saying, USL or a US Open Cup on the road. And then he's got to be in game shape because looking at the fixture list coming up after that home match against OKC, it gets tough. We go to San Antonio, their first place in the Western Conference right now. They might even have the best record in the league. Um, four wins and a draw. Then you play Los Dos in Carson. That's always a tough game. I know they haven't been up to their usual standard this year, but that's still going to be a difficult match to win all three points. Even a team like Orange County could only get a draw there. And uh, then you play OKC Energy on the road as well. And I know people talk about Phoenix being hot in the summer. You ever been to the Midwest in the summer? Now you're talking heat and humidity. So that's going to be like 100 degrees plus with humidity. Um, really tough fixture list coming up. So we're going to need Drogba to be able to contribute in those games. Um, yeah. And, and, and you throw in a possible another Open Cup match in there if they win in the on the 17th of May. You're looking at another Open Cup match on the 31st where they're going to possibly need them as well. So. Yeah. And, I mean, that's... Kind of why the uh, Reno and OKC home matches coming up are so crucial to just keep banking these points. But um, but back to Drogba. A couple of takeaways I got from that interview. It's nice to see the influence not only Burke had, but also um, Sean Wright Phillips had a huge influence on getting Drogba to Phoenix from the sound of it. That's something that wasn't played up in the media as much, so it's very refreshing to hear that. I mean, yeah, they're, they're former teammates, but you never know if that's just a coincidence that they end up here. Well, now we know that they're really good friends. So that's kind of cool. Um, he mentioned during the halftime, um, not the post-game audio, but during halftime that he, they plan to win a lot of games here. Um, he seemed very optimistic about the future of the franchise in general. Um, I might have to re-listen to that audio a couple times because I honestly, it was tough to get too much out of that first part with Katy Perry blasting way too loud, <laughs> but but you know we're working out our kinks. So let's uh, let's take a quick run through the uh, USL Week Five scoreboard and, and, and highlight a couple of things here. Uh, Tuesday, uh, Harrisburg and Orlando City B tied one one. Wednesday, FC Cincinnati uh, tied one one with Tampa Bay. Given Tampa Bay, you know Tampa Bay seems to be struggling a little bit right now. As after that first loss last week, trouble in paradise for teams that have started three zero and zero. I mean, 
You have Sacramento Republic, who we'll get to in a second. They start with a perfect three wins and three matches, and they've been down the gutter lately. Tampa, the same deal. They start 3-0, and and now, you know, a couple losses and a draw. Yeah. Saturday, action that happened on Saturday, Ottawa and Toronto tied nothing-nothing. Uh, Richmond... Richmond beat Pittsburgh 2-1. to San Antonio kept its unbeaten streak going on with a 2-1 victory over uh, Vancouver. Uh, Reno picked up – I'm sorry, not Reno. Uh, uh, Richmond had a 2-2 tie with New York, so that, that was another interesting result. FC Cincinnati and Louisville tied 1-1. Charleston comes back and tops Tampa Bay 3-2. Like we said, you know, Tampa Bay is on a little bit of a, a little bit of a slide right well, now. They, they just and if you don't mind um, getting into that uh, Tampa Charleston a little bit, very poor defending from Tampa up to that point. They had been very strong on defense in their first three wins. They got all shutouts. Uh, they held Cincy to just the one goal earlier in the week, and so to see them get lit up for three goals at home, and I saw those. A couple of those goals were pretty soft. Honestly, I'm just calling like it is. Um, trouble in paradise for that team. Um, and we can run down some more and get to Sacramento in a second. Yeah. Uh, an interesting result uh, factoring in the Western Conference, Tulsa getting a one nothing victory over Rio Grande. Remember, Rio Grande has had a fairly good run last year. All of a sudden now Rio Grande is starting to kind of hit a little bit of a slide here, which is quite interesting. And that's, that's uh, you know, Tulsa and... Rio Grande have played twice now in the opening month of the season, and that's two 1-0 wins for Tulsa. That's all their points on the year. It's got to be a frustrating result for Rio Grande. Um, coming home, getting a lot of possession. I saw the last 25 minutes of that match, and they just didn't have much cohesion in the attacking third. They were really not able to treble Tulsa too much, and conversely, you know, really great tactics from Tulsa. They, they go out there, they play very controlled in the first half, they get the goal, and it was a beautiful goal at that. Really nice strike into the top right corner. And they just get in, get out, get those three points. I mean, if not for that week one game, they'd be at nine from four matches played. That is correct. Charleston had a 2-1 victory over over St. Louis. Uh, I'm sorry, Charlotte had a 2-1 victory over St. Louis. Reno gets a point, 2-2 against Colorado. Uh, Colorado had to save it in the end there. A Malcolm goal in the 91st minute. Oh, man. And, and uh, I mean, just getting to this game for a second, what in what a gut-wrenching way to lose out on three points if you're Reno. In front of the home support, they've had a lot of home games early in the season. They go ahead 1-0, and then just a stupid goal to give up right after halftime on a set piece. They go ahead on another set piece, so they're up 2-1, and really, like, just playing great. Colorado Springs didn't have too many chances. And then just another just terrible goal to allow off another corner. I mean, you know, I feel some empathy here because they're really where Arizona United was a few years ago. They're a true expansion franchise with some local talent, but they're they're miles behind where we are now. They're where we were two, three years ago. And it it's frustrating because you want to see success. And I hope that those fans are in it for the long haul. And they're playing in a baseball stadium like we were a few years ago. I see a lot of similarities there. But, I mean, hopefully we keep them down in the mud when we play them in a couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, obviously, Real Monarchs are for real. 
3-1 victory over Seattle Sounders 2. Uh, Bowler and Hernandez leading the, lead the charge once again. I mean, they're, they're a team, obviously, to be reckoned with. And like Frank said a couple weeks ago, we really know how good that team really is now. They they are legit. I mean, Sounders is a team that will be in the playoff hunt. So to go on the road, snatch those three points, and really show some mental fortitude because they go ahead 1-0. Sounders equals it up early in the second half. You know, a lot of times at that point, you're a road team and you're fine with just holding up for the 1-1. But no, they come back on the attack get two goals in less than 10 minutes, and really lock it up from there. Uh, just very, very fantastic performance from them. Another, uh, the other two results on Saturday, Los Dos with a 1-1 draw against Orange County. Uh, obviously, not the effort that LA2 is looking for, but, you know, Orange yeah. County stealing a point from LA is, is, is better than nothing right now. I, uh, I had my eye on this game because this is uh, – I mean, going in, it was a huge game for Los Dos, obviously, trying to end their three-game slide. And they get the job done on that front. But really, Orange County has to feel better about this point than L.A. Um, it's a 1-1 game, nil-nil at halftime. Charlie Leone made an unbelievable reaction save in the first half. I mean, I'm talking, I think Zubak had the ball from like three yards out, just to tap in and... Leon just puts his hand up and not only saves it, but gets it over the bar for no rebound. What can you say? He's got to be one of the top five or ten best keepers in USL right now. And then um, really tough break for LA, an own goal from, um, let's see, Angola. John Angola um, puts OC in the lead. The Galaxy manage a draw in the 66th when Adrian Vera gets a goal. But they're a young team. Uh, I think the average age, there are a few USL teams, a lot of the teams that are struggling this year, Portland being one of them, that have gone extremely young this year. And uh, Galaxy 2 has been one of those teams, and they just, they're not meshing yet. So it's a 1-1 draw, a good draw for OC, who finishes their four-game road stretch to start the year with seven points. Not bad to start a road stretch or start the season on a road stretch like that. Obviously, waiting for their home park to be built. I'll take seven from four, and I don't care where we're yeah. playing. And then obviously the the surprising result of Saturday night, uh, Portland Timbers two, just puts a hurting on Sacramento Republic two nothing. Goals by Bijev and Arboleda uh, left us all wondering what is going on with Sacramento. And uh, this is. A really frustrating performance from the Republic perspective. You go on the road, <clears throat> two tough losses, but, you know, they're both one nils. They were they were playing hard in both games, you know, just, I mean, the loss against OKC is just a freak goal off that insane bicycle kick. And then they had another tough one against Swope, and that one is the last 20. So you're thinking, okay, soft team at home. Portland's winless on the year, 0-5. Um, you know, maybe some of that's bad luck. All their losses were by one goal before this game. But Timbers, they gave Republic tons of possession, but they they got their goals. And the second goal in particular, <clears throat> just a uh, absolute defensive calamity. They give the ball away right outside the box. And then uh, Arboleda just rounds the keeper and puts it in. Um, and then I saw the last 20 minutes of that, just thinking, what is going on here? And Republic just couldn't find that last ball they they couldn't get um they couldn't get the link up play that they needed a lot of bad passing in that game 
and and they only won the possession battle 53 and a half to 46. So Portland really held their own. Yeah, that they did. And then uh, the other Sunday result besides the Phoenix Rising game, uh, Orlando B uh, beat Bethlehem Steel uh, 2-0, which leads us to the Week 5 standings for the Western Conference. Yes, it does. So San Antonio, as mentioned before, tops the Western Conference with 13 points. That's actually the high point total in the league so far. And considering some teams have played six matches, Orlando City B has even played seven to have the high point total with only five matches played, pretty damn impressive. Uh, right behind them, Real Monarchs with 12 points now after that big win in Seattle. Swill Park is in third place. They have nine from four matches played. That was their first blemish on the season. Right behind them, Colorado Springs with nine from six matches played. Sacramento Republic, nine points also from six matches played. Vancouver Whitecaps with seven from five played. Orange County, seven from four played and that's all on the road and then the last playoff spot it would have been us if not for that comeback but because we let in three goals at the end rgv maintains the eighth spot six points from five matches played and we are just behind so going to the non-playoff teams it's rising with six from four matches played but the goal differential were behind by one goal 10th place is tulsa roughnecks six from four played minus two goal differential and sounders six from five matches played then you go to the teams that are a little lower okc energy four points from four matches they were off this weekend galaxy two four from five matches played timbers with their first win of the year that's three points for them and at the rear so close to getting out of the rear and getting back up a spot or two reno with two points that leads us into our final thoughts for the day. Uh, Dominic? Oh, um, just on the standings or? Just in general. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, there's been a lot to cover. Crap. Uh, my final thought is there's the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it is possible that, that Yalop legitimately had some real family issues or just wanted to legitimately spend time with his family. Fair enough. But I don't think that's the case. My gut just tells me that's not the case. These resignations usually happen because if you don't resign, something else is going to happen. You're going to get canned. I don't, I don't think it was a falling out with ownership, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You're on a two-game winning streak, and unless you have a big name lined up that you know is going to come in, implement your system, and fulfill the larger goal of getting interest for MLS, I just don't understand it. I mean, yeah, it's good timing if you're going to make a change, if you have a big name lined up, and maybe in a few hours I'll look like an idiot for saying this. I know it's not the most popular opinion, but why? Like, unless you have a great replacement in place, I just don't understand. We had great momentum, and now you do this. Well, my final thought brings us back to a final thought from a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the changing of the uh, broadcasting from USL or from from locally being produced to going to the USL uh, uh, offices back in in Tampa, Florida. Huge blunder this week by the uh, by the production staff, missing the missing the first goal from last night's match. And Alessandro Rigi uh, just is is very inexcusable, and and not only for for them to miss it. 
but to not even get a replay of it until halftime shows how green and how inexperienced people are back in those those studios trying to put on a production when you're not on site. Um, I think if, if this is being handled locally, this situation doesn't get missed. Um, you have people who are more knowledgeable of the situation in the site. I mean, the people back in Tampa still had no clue as to what was going on other than they knew the goal happened, but it, they hardly even talked about it then. So, and it's a goal to match, too. It's oh, ridiculous. It was an unbelievable goal. But, you know, I'm hoping that the, that the kinks get worked out here. I'm, I'm hoping that, that it works in time. But right now I'm having a hard time believing that the best thing that the that locally has been done is, was to push the productions back to Tampa, you know, is, is going to be a success. I'm hoping that it's going to change. So. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, Matt mentioned that his final point um, that he mentioned at the end of his uh, game notes, he's been out in Guadalajara. He's been out in Mexico, and he was rocking his rising shirt on Sunday on his wedding day. That's, uh, that's some huge props. I don't know if I would do the same, but uh, he was doing that. And he says he had a few people talk to me about Omar Bravo and Drogba. How many other D2 teams do you hear about getting the level of exposure that Phoenix Rising is getting? And that's fantastic because this is a brand not just in this country, but internationally. You don't even have some MLS teams getting that kind of international exposure. We've had two ESPN FC articles just in the last 24 hours, probably another one with the Allop getting uh, dismissed or resigning. But, yeah, there's, there's no team that's creating bigger buzz nationally and even internationally than Phoenix Rising, and that's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, and it does. Well, we thank you for joining us for this episode of, of the uh, Rising as One podcast. Uh, we, as always, like to thank our sponsors, uh, Firebird Rising, uh, the beautiful game network. Uh, go to see them at bgn.fm for all of your, all of your uh, USL podcasts that are out there. Uh, don't forget, if you have any questions about the show or, or have anything you want us to talk about, please get a hold of us, whether it's on on. Uh, Twitter at, at Rising Pod, whether it's at the Rising uh, Rising for One podcast on our Facebook page, uh, you can email us at uh, risingpod at gmail.com. Um, we're going to take a week off next week. There's no game. And, you know, we hope to get some uh, interviews during the week off. And if there's any breaking news with the coaching, uh, if we get a replacement in, we'll definitely try to do something about that but otherwise thank you so much for listening to this long podcast but we had a lot to talk about so uh enjoy the rest of your week